my guest today, Sam, uh, just recently finished his junior year of high school. And I really enjoyed talking to, to younger people, kids in high school, or, or just kind of the, the youth, if you will, because I think it's such an interesting perspective. Um, and Sam was, was an interesting case because uh, even at a young age, he's really involved in politics, it's something that he's really passionate and dedicated to, which was actually his value, passion and dedication. Um, he hosts a conservative podcast. He's the Northeast director uh, for the High School Republican National Federation, and he's already worked on seven political campaigns, a presidential, U.S. Senate, state Senate, governor, the list kind of goes on. And maybe what I thought was most interesting and impressive about Sam is, is the reason he got he has gotten so involved in politics. Um, the way he explained it was that at a young age, he started to notice that there was a lot of people kind of complaining and taking issue with things going on in the country and the political issues we faced. Um, but they weren't doing much about it. And Sam thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. He, he, he would much rather, rather than just joining in on the complaining or whatever that might be, actually try and get involved and try and do something to make it better. Um, and I think that's super inspiring and encouraging that somebody so young would kind of have that perspective. And it's interesting because I think many people are guilty of this, myself included at times, of kind of of judging younger people to get involved in politics. The thought being like, they don't have enough perspective to actually have an opinion or really even know what they're talking about. Um, and listen, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to the fact that at a young age, we, we don't always have all the perspective and we may view the world in too simple of a way. But I think there's a ton to be learned um, from somebody at any age, whether it be a high school or anything, who says, I see a problem and rather than complain, I'm, I'm gonna take action. I'm gonna do my part to try and make a difference. Um, so I think there's a ton we can learn from, from somebody like Sam or, or people that take action in that way. And, uh, you know, I think what I was pleasantly surprised by in this conversation um, was for somebody who is so involved in politics, he, he hasn't seemed to allow that to kind of cloud his thinking or change who he is. He, he seems to feel very strongly that um, it's important to think for yourself. It's important to kind of make your own decisions. And it's important to engage in a healthy dialogue with people that see things differently from you, even if you have strong beliefs. Um, so that was a cool, refreshing take to, to, to hear from Sam. And towards the end of the conversation, we did get into some specific political issues. We talked about the Russia-Ukraine situation. We talked about gun control in the United States and tried to, in our best way, kind of model that healthy dialogue, kind of explore it from different perspectives and consider some other views on it that might be different than how Sam normally thinks about it. And to his credit, he was totally willing and open to do that um, and, and kind of kick those things around. And I just think um, there's something really important and powerful, particularly for young people, to have that perspective. Um, to be passionate, to be dedicated, to have conviction in their beliefs, but to do it in a way that allows them to be open and willing to really let the truth win out rather than like a personal agenda or, a, you know, political party that they're assigned to or, or affiliated with. I think that's a, a good way to be and um, something that made me really enjoy this conversation with Sam. So with that, let's get to the conversation. All right, Sam, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Uh, I will get right to the question of what's the value that's most important to you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. I would say the value that is most important to me would either be passion or dedication. I feel like those two concepts kind of tie into each other a little bit. Hmm. I would say overwhelmingly that'd be the most important value as to what I do on a daily basis. 
That's good. That's cool. That's cool. So talk to me a little bit about that. Why, why, why are those things so important? Having passion, being dedicated. Why do you see that as like above all else, the, the most important? You know, regardless of what you do in life, for me, it is doing a lot of stuff uh, politically related and putting a lot of time and effort into that. But regardless of occupation, regardless of uh, what you're passionate about and what you do, I think that having the passion and the dedication is really important because that's kind of what leads you to be successful in the thing that you are doing. For me, as I said, it was politics. So I'm really passionate about politics and that passion and dedication and hard work ethic going into that has really helped me become successful and get me to where I am today. And I think that regardless of what you do, it's the same concept overall. Mm, makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think there's obviously a lot of truth to that. And it's a very functional value. And as you explain it in that, you know, it, it allows for you, as you said, to be successful in whatever area you're in. And, and I would agree with that in many ways. I think that passion, that dedication, persistence, work ethic, that's, that's a huge part of the battle, if not the whole battle um, in, in being successful. Let me ask you though, how do you think about, because there's kind of the two components of that. There's once you decide what you want to do or what you're passionate about, then having that passion and dedication allows you to be successful. How do you think about the deciding what you want to direct that towards? Um, is that just individual for everybody? And it's, it's, it's literally up to each individual to figure out what that is, or is there, are there some like objective things that are where you should want to devote and dedicate that passion and dedication versus others that maybe that would be a bad place to direct it? Of course, everybody has like their different interest areas. You know, a lot of people don't like politics and that is totally okay. And they find something else to dedicate their time to and find that they're passionate about. Some people, it may be something such as teaching. They like to teach others. They like to do things. They may do, like to do things such as podcasts like we're doing right now. So I think it is more of an individual thing that each person has to find for themselves because you know I think in today's society we try to group everyone together way too often I think it's important to recognize that um you know you are who you are and you can't be compared to anyone else because at the end of the day you're not going to strive to be the same as the rest of the world you're going to strive to be your own person, you're going to strive to do what's best for you. And sometimes what you're interested in is may not be what's best for you. But at the same time, I think the concept of judging people just for themselves rather than a group is very important, as well as doing what's best for yourself rather than a whole group. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I really do. I think um, that perspective is, 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 it would seem to be a really healthy one. It would seem to be one that allows you to tap into the value that you're speaking of and doing it in a way where you can kind of do it for lack of a better word, like in harmony with other people, because they have their thing, you have yours and you're kind of just allowing for all that. How do you think about that? So you mentioned politics is kind of your focus in some ways. And, and I'm, this isn't, um, this isn't trying to just tear apart politics by any means. I think there's good and bad in everything, but um, politics almost by design is meant to group people, right? It is their political parties and there's kind of, you kind of um, categorize yourself through that. And there's, there's certain things that you believe, whether it be policy or, or different things that should be the way in which society functions. 
you, you could see that and think, well, maybe that runs counter to what you were just saying about that individualism and how you think of it through that lens. Not saying it is, but just curious how you, how you think about that, how politics fits into what, what you're saying. Right. So, of course, politics, a lot of it is grouping people together, trying to get people to come together for one common goal. But at the same extent, politics is also very decisive. Hmm. I'm sorry, divide, divisive, yeah. not decisive. But yeah, because I mean, look, there is the two political parties and many other parties beyond that, and it divides people. That's all politics does is there's groups and those groups are kind of divided from each other. And there's that gray area like, okay, is it okay if I associate with this person from a different group? As far as being an individual, of course, the political parties that we have today, most of them are the Democrat or Republican. That is what many people associate themselves with. But there's also those third party candidates that come along, such as uh, the Libertarian Party. That seems to be a very much growing party here in the United States, as well as like the Constitution Party, the Green Party, the Liberation Party. There's so many other parties that we don't necessarily identify fully in the United States other than the Democrat and Republican Party. But as far as, you know, being an individual within those, I guess you would say, designated groups, you have to still find your own thing. Of course, Mm -hmm. some people's thing is going to a different party uh, meetings, like I'm going to a... uh, local Republican Party this evening, things like that. But there's also individual ideas and choices within campaigning. Some people might choose to do campaigning, working at fairs, you know, reaching out to people, door knocking, phone banking. So there's a lot of individualism and making your own choices within those political parties that I think a lot of people don't really understand until they truly, like, fully get involved if that yeah. makes sense it does it does make sense and i think it's a, it's a really interesting and good point about that um that there is still room for individualism within it how do you think about it cross-party though because again back where you were before about you know there's not necessarily an objective like here's what people should do or what they should focus on it's you know everybody's got their own thing and be passionate and dedicated around that thing to what you're saying, even with multiple parties, Green Party, Libertarians, Democrats, Republicans, kind of inherent in that structure is that, you know, one group feels like we have the right ideas and the other group does not have the right ideas. So it, 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 you can argue maybe it goes against that idea of like, well, everybody's fine. Whatever you like, you like. Whatever I like, I like. And I get it. Like there's a degree of practicality to it, which is like well, we have to make decisions and we have to kind of figure out how we function as a society. So we do have to pick something. Um, but that, that aspect of cross-party differences. Um, you know, you mentioned, right? You, you see the world today. Sometimes when we see it, I would think at its worst, there's people that are like willing to fight to the death over those differences. And then I think other times where it's more healthy, there's like a dialogue and there's a conversation and it doesn't mean that we have to agree all the time, but we kind of work through it. Do you, do you, how do you view politics, I guess, in that way? Do you think that, are, are you confident or optimistic that it's, it can and, and will function more in that positive way? or that it, it may continue to devolve into more of that negative way where it's, there's not tolerance for different views. Right. So, of course, the Democrat and Republican Party, they have their differences, obviously. And 
those people within those particular parties don't see eye to eye across the aisle, and we know that. But there's also a lot of division, I guess you would say, within parties themselves, whether it's the Democrat Party or Republican Party. We're seeing that right now in Virginia. There's Democrats that are saying that there should be a gas tax holiday, and then there's Democrats who are saying there should not be a that gas tax holiday. And the same thing with the Republican Party. So there's divisiveness within the parties themselves, not to even mention the two separate parties that have their different ideas. But overall, okay I that? think it is. Do, do you I'm think, are, are you, I'll ask it this way. Like, are, are you okay with this? So let's take the gas price holiday, the gas tax holiday, sorry. Um, when, let's even just say within the Democratic Party, as you said, if there's two people within the Democratic Party, the one that views like, yeah, of course, we need to put a gas tax holiday on. We, we have to. We have to help the people, whatever. And somebody else says, no, 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 we can't do that because, you know, we're already in too much of a deficit and we can't, you know, re- relieve another tax, whatever, whatever the arguments might be. How do you resolve that? Like, are we OK with that conflict and that tension? And it just it resolves itself however it does. Or should it be that one side is objectively right and it's a matter of figuring that out and making sure we get to the right decision? Right. And of course, with this particular issue, there's Republicans that agree with Democrats, there's Democrats that agree with Republicans. And of course, you have those who oppose each other. I think that regardless of what the issue is, a healthy dialogue is desperately needed. Mm. Because, of course, we know that by yelling at each other, nothing is going to get done. And it will really shock you by the number of healthy conversations that actually happen between politicians on each side of the aisle. Mm. It's just those that actually get put into the media cycle that are the ones that people disagree with the most, such as those hot button issues that people get their adrenaline going with, they have their strong feelings about, and they might raise their voice, they might do a lot of other things. And that's what gets put in the media. But overall, there's a lot of healthy dialogue. And whether it is controversy within one party or controversy between two parties, I think that dialogue is what is actually going to get stuff done. That's where you find your compromises. You're not going to find your compromises by yelling at each other because you're just going to make each other even more mad than what you already are. Mm. So I think overall, that healthy dialogue is what's going to make things so much better. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you think we, how do you think we get to that? Cause you know, social media, the media in general, as you, as you're articulating often the loudest, most extreme voice, the most provocative, controversial voice, sometimes intentionally becomes the one that gets the most attention. And then it, and, and then that division, that divisiveness you speak of seems that much worse. Um, what, what do we do as a society? Again, forget about if you're liberal or, or, or conservative or wherever you might sit, assuming most reasonable people agree we'd rather have the healthy dialogue. How, how do we, how do we fix it? What do we do to try and get to that? Do you think? Obviously, if we have the answers, we would, we would do it, but what's your thought on it? You know, social media, whether you like it or not, it has caused a lot of issues, whether it is posting something on Facebook that is highly controversial, calling somebody out in a negative way, so on and so on, all the way to, as people reference Facebook jail. Social media has caused a lot of the issue that we are seeing today has caused a lot of people to get 
very whelmed tight over certain political issues, and it's hard for them to have those conversations in person. And that's another thing. Social media has kind of taken things virtual. So you're not having those face-to-face conversations like you would in front of someone. Mm. Like maybe it's a panel. Maybe you're in a classroom together in school. Maybe you're just on the street at an event, regardless of what it may be. When you say something to someone on social media and it is vulgar, uh, someone might say that they're speaking French talking about cuss words, Mm. uh, chances are they're not going to use that same type of language when it's face-to-face conversation. And I think that is part of the issue that we're seeing today is social media. Mm. And the way I think we can, I guess, bring back more of a healthy dialogue is just going back to having face-to-face conversations, trying to not get too offended by what somebody else may say and hear the other person out. Because regardless of party, like you said, you're going to have ideas that you agree with. Even if it may, if if you're part of the Republican party, it may be not be the most Republican view, but you may agree with someone on the Democrat party Mm. and vice versa. So I think just sitting down, having those thoughtful conversations without getting whelmed too tight is how we're going to somewhat fix that dialogue. Yeah. And like you said, if we knew how to fix it right away, we'd have already done so. Right, right. Well, it's interesting too, from your perspective, because I think, Sam, you're a, are you a junior in high school? You still, is that right? I just got done with my junior just year. Finished, I'll be right? starting yeah. my senior year. Congratulations, congratulations. Thank um, you. But it's an interesting place to be in a perspective because I would agree with you, I think, in, in many ways around social media, right? There's benefits, there's, there's negatives. I think it's probably net negative. Um, but from where you sit, you know, not that you speak for your whole generation and, and you know, high schoolers everywhere, but it, it sounds like you see it similarly, right? Because there's a lot of people that say, well, it's technology. That's just the world we're in and the more virtual world, that's just the future. And we kind of have to accept that. How do you see it given, given your age, given your peers? Do you think most people see it similarly? Do you think most people recognize the potential dangers or most people maybe don't think about it that much or they've thought about it and they think actually it's great. I think social media is net positive. There is a lot of mixed feelings that I've seen over the course of the past couple of years, uh, just by talking to people, especially from my generation. A lot of people will say that social media is great. I use social media quite a bit personally, and I use it to promote myself, to network, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, social media, I think, has damaged society more. And I think the more that we go on and on, people are starting to same to see the same result. Mm. And it can be, it doesn't even have to be politically related. It can be things such as cyberbullying mm. that happens quite a bit over social media. And we know that we've seen the dangers of it. We've seen what cyberbullying can lead to, and it's devastating. So I think the more we go on and the more social media is becoming more of a common thing, especially for people who may not even be a part of my generation, but a younger generation. Mm. I think we're starting to see that more often than what we have the past several years. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's like, it's, it seems like a necessary evolution, not, not a, not a, um, not always a positive one, but maybe a necessary evolution as we learn how to use social media and some of the technology we have 
that naturally there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be lessons learned. And when you zoom all the way out at a very macro level, you say, okay, that's, that's okay. As long as we're on a positive trajectory, but in the moment, as we are in, in 2022, it feels like, wow, this is, this is tough. Like the, these growing pains are really difficult to deal with. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's kind of that long-term perspective is, is probably optimistic that we can figure out how to use it the right way, but it's taken us some time to get there. Right. 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 Yeah. So let me bring it back, Sam, for, for you. So where you started with the dedication and the passion, and obviously you've been talking a bit about politics. Talk to me about that. How, how did you figure out? How did you determine? How did you decide that that passion and dedication you have, you wanted to direct it towards politics? What's, what's behind that for you? So I got started in politics quite a few years ago. I started in 2016 with the presidential election. Mm. And of course, now I'm going to be a senior. So some people may say that was a long time ago. For me, yeah. it doesn't feel like it was too long ago. But, you know, I just, there is this thing to where people were complaining and complaining and complaining about stuff being done within the political arena, whether it's in Congress, state legislatures, or even municipality and their governments. No one was doing anything about it. And sometimes the people complaining were the ones who were eligible to vote, but didn't go vote. Mm. And it was just things like that. So for me, I was just, for whatever reason, I was just naturally interested in politics. There was just something that drew me in and I just stuck with it for the past, I guess, five years or so now. If you had to guess, uh, what do you you think it was that pulled you into it? Was it just like a natural human nature that you had just to kind of your tendency? Yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of natural for me. I was started watching some of the uh, debates for the presidential election back in 2016. Mm. And after that, I just kind of fell in love with it and stuck with it ever since. Just seeing people on stage exchange ideas, seeing some of it get heated, some of it staying a little bit calm, then I've, I don't know. I just kind of stuck with it after that point. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting phrase. I mean, I, I get it. I think it's awesome, firstly, that you, you saw something and saw like, hey, if, if rather than complain, let's, let's do something about it. I think that's an amazing, it's an amazing attribute. And I think it's something that um, a lot of people would say it's, it's reason for optimism because there's a lot of young people like you who, who have that mindset now, which is good. Um, when you say you fell in love with it, though, I'm just curious because I always find things like that interesting. What do you think it was that, that I know you mentioned like seeing the exchange of ideas? Is, it, is that love ultimately rooted in the idea of there's an opportunity to help people or there's an opportunity to make the country better? Is it more literal in that just that? the excitement and the, and the, the activity of debating, of trying to find the, the best idea of kind of working through that. What is it you think that is really drives that passion in you for it? Well, you know, after I started getting to work on some campaigns and this wasn't until a couple of years later, but I've learned that there is so much more to politics than just debating, you know, going to local party meetings, meeting so many new people, being able to go knock on doors, call people from around the state, maybe even the country. It's just so fascinating, the people that you'll see. Uh, Even if they don't agree with you, those are going to be people who stick with you the rest of your life. And I'm talking about networking, not just like, you know, talking to random people that you're never going to really going to meet again in your life. But, you know, regardless of party, networking that is going to come with working on the political campaigns is so great and 
I think that just the talking to people and getting to meet new people all the time is why I'm still in it. Of course, back then I wasn't really working on any political campaigns. It was just the debate for me. But now that I've actually been in it for a while, gotten to see the opportunities available, the opportunities are fantastic. The opportunities that I've been offered and been able to experience has been amazing. And that's just pretty much where I'm at today and why I still love it. That's really cool. And I I could certainly relate to that. I think in many ways, that idea of connecting with people and hearing from people and learning from people and all that stuff, building the relationships. I think in many ways, that's why I do this show. I love, I love people as well and and hearing and learning from them. So I think that's a, I, I, it's a very, it resonates with me a lot. Um, Let me ask you, no, no value judgment in this at all, because in the spirit of what we said before, you know, different views is a good thing. People should view things differently and everybody has different views. How did you, at a young age, right? Because some people would, 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 would ask about that. Like at a young age, how did you determine that the, the Republican conservative values, those are the ones that resonated with you more? Um, what was that process like? Right. And, you know, a lot of people say you learn a lot of the stuff from your parents. And yeah, that might be true initially, but I'm not at the point to where I'm kind of like telling my parents, you know, like stuff about politics that kind of goes over their head a little bit so I think that that idea has kind of went out the window since then but I've been trying my best to make my own decisions since then and I this is that's where it's got me is at the position I'm at now and you know that young age you don't really know too much about what's going on but I had a little bit of an understanding to where I understood the concept of what was being said. And I took those ideas and I just ran with it. And now, like I said, I'm pretty much making my own decisions, making my own thoughts and developing those ideas, even if they may not 100% resonate with the Republican Party. I think that's also something that's very important. Just because you're part of a group doesn't mean you have to have all the same ideas as the rest of the group. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think you touched on it before, too. It's such an important aspect of this to get to that healthy dialogue, to get to a better place, as we talked about. I think that recognition of that that says that the truth should be the, the game. That's what we should be after, right? To getting, getting to a better place should be what it's about not necessarily winning, not necessarily my team beating the other team, you know, however you want to think about it. How, how, how hard have you found that though? Cause I, I'll speak for myself as well as I'm sure many other people that can be difficult, right? Just because of pressure from the group or sometimes even internally, just our own minds, we start to develop views and it, it becomes hard to break sometimes and look objectively at things. How have you found that process of trying to stay objective and kind of make those decisions for yourself? You know, that's one of the things that I think is most dangerous about political parties is the party and the people that run the party making the decisions and telling what everyone else what to think Mm. within the party such as the members so I think it's very important that you should make your own decisions make your own ideas come up with your own thoughts and make your own opinions about certain political issues that's where as I said is the gray area. That's where it gets to be dangerous because 
you're not in control of your opinions and your thoughts as somebody else is making those opinions and thoughts for you. So it's obviously, it's been difficult, you know, just trying to decipher between issues. Okay, is this what I truly think, even though the rest of the party may disagree with me? And then actually standing up for those beliefs. And, you know, sometimes, most of the time anyways, um, I pretty much concur with the rest of the Republican Party. But there are those who do not, who some people agree mostly with the Republican Party and then have those views that do not align with the Republican Party. But I think it is important to stay true to who you are and go with your own ideas when it comes to that scenario. Yeah, it's so tricky, too, particularly with politics, because you you mentioned the party and you could take that literally to say, you know, the other politicians or people directly involved in the party. But then there's also the constituents and the wider population. And, you know, much like you said, right, I think you mentioned you're on social media, building a bit of a brand for yourself. You have a podcast. Some politicians are literally trying to get elected when you when you do think differently or have a different thought. It's not only the pressure from the party directly. It's the pressure of like, well, maybe the people aren't going to like this or they're going to have an issue with it. And maybe now. I won't have as many followers or I won't have, you know, I won't get elected. It becomes a really, the, the, the design of it, I'm not saying I have a better way by any means. And I, and I get that. Um, but the design of it is, is it lends itself so easily to just kind of conform and just go with what's there because you want to get reelected and you don't want to kind of break rank from your party and all those things. So just speaks to the difficulty you're talking about. I think it, it can be tough, can be really tough. I would imagine. Right. And you know, now that I do have a podcast and it's getting to be more popular, you know, I'm being told all the time, well, you might not want to say that because mm-hmm. it might not be the best thing to say politically. And I have an issue with that. I really do, because I'm not going to go away from staying true to myself just to appease other people. Mm-hmm. I found by, you know, being involved in politics like I am. That if you tell people the truth and just be straight up about it, more people are going to like you rather than leave your uh, followers base or whatever you may Mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really important. I think it's a concept that needs to be reinforced because it's all the time that it feels like I'm being told not to say something just because it may or may not offend someone or it may not be the best thing to say politically. And I just, I have an issue with that because it's not necessarily what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally get that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'll, I'll get maybe philosophical for a second. I'm curious how you think about this. Cause I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely in many ways, what you're saying, what I struggle with sometimes is how do we know how to trust our own minds? And I'll, and I'll put it simply like that. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Like, so we, we I'll speak for myself. I might form a view or an opinion and feel like, okay, this is, this is what I believe it's right. And maybe some external input starts to come in that says, Hey, I, I don't think that's a good view that you have, or I don't think you're looking at that. Right. And there's this delicate balance between having conviction and staying true to what you believe in exactly what you're saying. Cause you don't want to sway just based on public opinion or whatever it might be, because somebody might be offended. But there also is the idea of maybe I do see it wrong. Like maybe there is something to it and I should reconsider and that's a really tough balance because conviction is important, but, but humility is important and kind of questioning yourself is important. How do you try and strike that balance? How do you try and manage that for yourself? Of course, with politics, there's always something to back 
an opinion up with facts. Hmm. So regardless of what it is, and sometimes someone of the Republican Party or a politician may say something, and I'm like, okay, well, I may or may not agree with this, but I'll do the research until I do form an educated opinion on that topic. And hmm. at the end of the at the end of the research, I may agree with the candidate. I may not agree with the candidate. It just depends on the conclusion that I've come to and what I believe. I think that's very important that a lot of people do their own research because now, as we mentioned before, social media has come along. Social media has gotten very popular over the past couple of years. And I think people will see one post on Facebook and automatically agree with it. And sometimes they may be agreeing with a meme and not know it. So that concept is very important in fact checking and doing your own research. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It can be tough, as you said, right? Because some of these issues are so complex and nuanced that even as you're, you know, there's certain facts, obviously, that, that exist in the world and there's certain data but to your point, like there's always a little bit of uncertainty. There's always, well, maybe it's that, or maybe it's this, or things are complex and it can be tough to ever feel like there's a grounding, like that you can feel like, okay, I know I can trust this, or this is definitely right. But, but I think you're right. I think even in spite of that, the aspiration or the, the, the goal has to be to be as thorough as we can be, try and be as objective as we can be, consider all the possibilities and then, you know, do the work, do the research to come to a conclusion. Cause at the end of the day, we do have to come to a conclusion. We can't just kind of waffle on both sides forever so i think that makes sense absolutely and i mean just like you said you have to come to a conclusion as to what you believe because if you can't come to the conclusion as to what you believe then people are going to tell you what you should believe Mm. Mm. and chances are you're going to go with that because you don't know what you believe Mm. it's true it's true that's kind of the nature of how our minds work we want things to be simple we want to have an answer so we're going to find one whether we find it ourselves or somebody gives it to us i think that's true um i'm curious sam as, as, as we're working through here like to the extent you're comfortable with it and, and and i'm sensitive to the idea that obviously um you're still developing and thinking through some of this stuff but i'm curious if there's any issues you think about now that are that are kind of in the spotlight of the public that, that maybe one of two types of issues one that either you think is is particularly complex and nuanced where you know, you can kind of see both sides of it. And even though it's very polarizing, you think like, that's ah, tough to say, you know, or maybe the other way where you say, no, no, there's certain issues where it's very clear cut. Like clearly this is the right way to look at it. If there's either of those that kind of come to mind for you as you're, as you're thinking about. You know, I would say that 99% of the issues that we, we have today, I would be pretty clear cut on. <laughs> the only thing that I can really say would be a, I guess a gray area would be what is going on with Russia because there's so much and there is such a long history with Ukraine and all of this and that. And, you know, just coming down to like aid, like, okay, should we give this much to Ukraine and aid mm. knowing like the history, knowing that we're not necessarily directly affected by or we have no obligation to it but at the same time are we just going to stand by and watch all of this get done i think i have a pretty good opinion on it but you know there is there's some gray areas in that issue that you know i'm still working through trying to find as much research as i can on stuff and that's another thing 
trying to research has become something that is so difficult because we're at this point in time to where you can't trust anything and everything on the internet. So trying to decide what you can trust and what you can't trust is getting very tricky. Even when you find studies done by universities, some of them, some of their uh, conclusions may compete with one another. So trying to figure out which study is accurate is very tricky, especially today. Now that we have all of these sites such as Wikipedia, where anyone can just go on and edit and that be that. It has been very, very, very hard for people trying to do their own research to do that research accurately. Yeah, no, I think I think that's spot on. I think, and then for me, where I where I typically land on that is kind of as you're saying with the Russia Ukraine issue. That's what always leads me to that bit of of uncertainty and, and always a little bit of doubt and not being able to say conclusively like here's the right answer or here's the wrong answer. And I think that's a great example you bring up. I mean, I think, I think, well, I'll just say for myself, like I view it as similar to what you said, like there's, there's horrific things happening. There's this horrible um, people experiencing horrible things, dying, you know, refugees, et cetera, which, which is terrible, obviously. Um, and I think we should have a desire to try and stop that or at least help in some way that we can. But in the spirit of being objective, we do have to consider, you know, what, 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 what are the choices we have to help? Will they actually help? Is it, is it feasible for us to help in, in us helping? Does that create other problems for us or for other people? Even you can go further and say, you know, Russia, Ukraine, it's not the only place where there's horrible things happening in the world. So then where do you draw the line? Should we be helping everywhere, wherever there's pain and suffering? And, and I don't ask these questions like, um, like flippantly, I, I ask them genuinely, like, these are real questions that we have to answer. And I get that they can be uncomfortable at times. Sometimes people, to what we were saying before, people want simple answers. Some people look at it and say, people are suffering, you help them. That's just what you do. But again, okay, but, but how do we help them? And are we being consistent in that? And then other people say, hey, it's not our problem. We don't get involved. Okay, but does that mean we don't get involved in anything then? Like, when does it become our problem? And I think that nuance often leads me to say, it's really tough to have conclusive, like definitive views on a topic. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, that resonates with me too, I guess back to where you were, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of topics where maybe you are a little bit more definitive on it in in lieu of all that, you know, in in light of all that, all the things I'm saying, how do you get to a place where you can feel like, yeah, like I feel pretty strongly that I know this is the right answer. This is the right policy, or this is the right belief. You know, as I said, research plays a big role in all of this, whether it is researching the history of something, researching the current state of the America's budget Mm. and giving donations, whatever it may be. I personally find it helpful to try and find videos of people speaking on the issue, not so that they can influence an opinion, but to see if there's any facts that they spit out and then I'll go back and fact check them to see if that's accurate. It seems to be the easiest way for me to get the basic facts of something while also forming my own opinion without outside influence. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like you said, people want a simple answer for a very complex issue. And, you know, if you don't get involved with Ukraine, just as you said, should you not get involved with any other country in the world? And of course, the issue of NATO and those military alliances comes up. 
And so it is, it's a very complex issue that not everyone has the answer for immediately. It, I think it's more of a case by case kind of deal, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. So let me ask you this, maybe Sam, as we're coming towards the end. And again, I, I hope you understand the spirit of, of the show. This is in no way is meant to be like a, a gotcha or prove you wrong in any way, but if you're comfortable with it, like, is there a topic that you do see that maybe is, is something that there's a lot of divisiveness around, but you think like, Hey, it's pretty clear that this is, this is the way we should handle it. And again, I asked that question not to, to try and say like, Ooh, I, I want you to commit to something. And then I'm going to prove that it's actually not that it's not that at all. It's very much in the vein of like what we're talking about. I think to the more we can model good, healthy dialogues, like we spoke about before, where somebody feels really strongly about one way, and then we question it and think through it to try and just get to a better answer, not have an agenda that it's this or it's that. Is, is a useful thing. So just curious if you have any, any, any topics or issues where you're like this, I'm pretty sure I know this is the right way to look at it. And wh whereas there's still some division around it. Right. And of course, you know, that's just politics. Yeah. Having something that you feel strongly about and believing that you're right about the issue and then making your case for it. Personally, I feel like the two topics that I feel the strongest about, and I feel like a lot of people do, is gun rights and abortion. Those are two very hot button issues that people feel strongly about. And, you know, like myself, amongst many others, I feel like I could defend those positions pretty well for the knowledge that I have and where we are at in today's America. But like you said, it comes down to having that healthy dialogue and not turning it into a yelling match. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So if we take, if we just take gun control, let's just grab, let's just grab that one. If you think about it, are there any arguments? And again, I ask this completely genuinely. There's no, I'm not leading the witness in any way. This is the healthy dialogue. Are there any arguments you've heard for more gun control or, or, you know, I wouldn't say maybe as going as far as making guns illegal, but let me just leave it at more gun control. The other side, right? The, the opposing view that you have where you've said, okay, there might be some validity to that, or there's some aspects of that that might be valid, or is it pretty cut and dry for you that like the, the, the place we are at right now in terms of policy and legislation around guns is where we should be? I think for the most part, things are pretty much cut and dry. Of course, there are things such as background checks that I agree with. I think that there should be the background check. I don't necessarily think that the background check should be abolished by any means. But I, I do think the background check is something that should stick around. Now, expanding onto that and some of the other positions that people have had, such as maybe limiting uh, magazine rounds, I don't necessarily agree with those positions. What's the but, thought on that, Tim? For the, just to use that as an example, what's the thought on why you feel like limiting the magazine rounds isn't, isn't the right way to go? And again, I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just genuinely curious. No, no, you're good. So I think that... That specific argument is really flawed because the rounds that it takes and a standard weapon sometimes is more than 10 rounds, which is what one of the numbers is for some of the legislation that has been put forward here in Virginia and on a national level. And because of that, it would turn some things such as a pistol into a what is classified as an assault weapon or an assault rifle. So I think there is some flawed logic behind that. But at the same extent, 
you bring up the argument of, okay, well, if there's going to be a limit on how many bullets can go into a magazine, then I'm just going to bring more magazines mm-hmm. and reload within an X amount of seconds that really is going to have no difference on the outcome. Yeah, so it's a view that it's it's not necessarily the, the, the disagreement, for lack of a better word, might, it doesn't exist in the place of like, hey, we, we should do something to try and stop people from killing a lot of people or hurting a lot of people unnecessarily, right, in, in a way in which it does that. What you're saying is the approach to, to getting to that um, better place, it's not necessarily logical to say to limit magazine clips for the reasons you're saying. So it's more of like, hey, we agree we want to get to a better place. We don't want people dying unnecessarily, but let's be more logical about how we get to that place. Right, and I think a lot of that doesn't necessarily have to do with the magazines or the weapon itself. I think it has more to do with the mental health that we have in the United States. Of course, the mental health amongst youth and the people who are committing like these mass shootings like we've seen recently I think they have a poor mental health, and I think that there are signs and many things that we can do to stop that. Uh, Let's take a look at the massacre that happened at Virginia Tech in the state of Virginia Mm -hmm. several years ago. You know, there were signs leading up to that mass shooting that I think we could have stopped. And obviously, there was some mental health concern there that there wasn't really much action taken as far as the mental health aspect. Yeah. Well, what about somebody that would say, definitely agree, we should address the mental health issue, but let's address, let's let's hit it from all sides, because we don't want things like that to happen. So, you know, even the magazine clips as the example, again, if somebody says, if it helps, if it helps a little, you know, and sure, maybe people can get around it, but it makes it that much harder, and it reduces the chances of something like that happening. Why not do everything we can to do that? Again, not saying that's necessarily the right approach, but what's the, what's the response to that? I would say that, you know, Criminals wouldn't be criminals if they didn't break the law. There is no way to efficiently take away every magazine in the United States that has that has the capacity of more than 10 rounds. And the only people that are really going to abide by that law are going to be your law-abiding citizens. Of course, people, it is known that people here in the United States have more than 10-round capacity magazines. And it's a matter of, okay, are these people going to give up those magazines or are they not going to give up those magazines? And ultimately, I think you're going to find that the people who are going to commit these shootings are not really going to care about a little law such as not having more than 10 rounds in your magazine. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I wonder, I'm I'm thinking out loud now, so this may not land in, in any logical way, but if you parallel that to, I don't know, drunk driving, let's just take that as an example. Somebody could possibly apply a similar logic and and approach that and say, you know, criminals being criminals, you could put a law in place that says, you know, you can't drink and drive, but if a criminal wants, they're going to do it anyway. So, and the people that know that it's wrong or that they shouldn't do it, they won't. So why even put that law on the books type thing? And again, I know it's not an exact parallel and maybe it doesn't work at all, but is there a parallel there that says, even if that's true, that, you know, the good, the quote unquote, good people aren't going to break that law anyway, we still put the law in place, we still put restrictions in place, because maybe it helps incrementally. And that's, that's still worth it. Right. And, you know, a little bit like, as you said, with like the drunk driving, you know, the person ultimately is 
what results in something bad. So like if there's a car crash as a result of a drunk driver, it isn't the alcohol's fault. It's not the car's fault. It's the driver who decided to drink the alcohol, get drunk, and then get behind the wheel of a car. It's the same concept that can be applied to a gunman. You know, it's not the gun that decided to kill someone. It is the person using the gun to kill someone. Just as I said, with a drunk driver using a car essentially as a weapon and using that car very, very uh, poorly and poor judgment. So I think that ultimately you can create a law, but the law abiding citizens are going to be the ones that follow that law. And I don't think that this scenario can necessarily be compared to drunk driving. But I think that if you do that, the only ones that are really going to be affected in a negative manner are going to be the law-abiding citizens. And not necessarily talking about magazine limitations, but other laws that people have put forward as to gun control. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're getting to this very, like, it's, it's complicated, right? It, it is. It's nuanced. And it's, you know, I, I do think to your point, right, like the person that drives drunk is the person responsible for that. Ultimately, the alcohol is involved, the, the car is involved, but the person is the conscious being that's making the decision. And I think that's true. And that parallel does hold. I do think we do still try and take steps. And I know we do this with guns, too. It's not like it's literally, you know, or figuratively the Wild West where anybody can just get a gun and do whatever they want. But I think we do accept the idea that we do want to put some restrictions and constraints in place because sometimes people do just make bad decisions or sometimes they are just having a bad day or sometimes they do have a mental break or sometimes, you know, there's all these things. And it's just that sense of finding that right optimal point of the amount of restrictions and constraints that we put in that help us to reduce the problem we're trying to fix while not causing another problem, just like we're talking about with Russia and Ukraine finding that optimal point can be can be very difficult. And, and what makes it really tricky is, in some ways, there may not be a clear answer. I think that's where, where, where it gets tough is, you know, people on the left or people on the right, often it's portrayed at least that there's a view of like, there's a clear answer here. This is just exactly what we need to do. And the reality is, we may never know exactly what we need to do. We may all be striving towards the same thing to stop people being hurt or, or killed unnecessarily. But there's no clear path to it. And, and maybe more regulation is good. Maybe reducing the magazine clips, maybe that is going to work and help in some way. Maybe it's not, maybe it's going to cause new problems. And I don't think the solution is to say, well, just get to that best answer and just demand that we do that. I think it's more what you were saying before, which is let's talk about it. Let's, let's think through it. Let's maybe try some things and test it out and being more open to the idea of, I don't know exactly what the right answer is. I have opinions, I have views, I've done my research. Let's take kind of that scientific approach of trying different things and letting the truth win out versus, you know, agenda or politics or trying to get reelected. Um, that's obviously seemingly the better way. But I can also imagine somebody hearing that and say like, well, you're being idealistic. <laughs> All those things are real life and it's just what it is. But I think it's on script with what you're saying, right, Sam? Like it's, it's that idea of never being overly confident or certain that this is absolutely the only way to fix it right? Being open to the idea that maybe there are differences, maybe there are different ways and being smart about it and saying, let's try that. And if we have evidence that suggests it doesn't work, then we'll pull back and we'll try something else rather than being dogmatic, right? Right. And you know, of course, with many political issues, there's going to be people from across the aisle that are never going to agree with each other. Right. They're not going to budge for more. They're not going to budge for less. 
And I think finding that common ground to the best of our ability is what is going to help and be the most beneficial to everyone all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's remembering the objective, right? My, my opinion, you're closer to politics than I am. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll end on this point. Um, My opinion is it's not losing sight of the objective too. I think too often politicians either intentionally or unintentionally, consciously, subconsciously, their objective shifts. It shifts from getting to the best possible outcome where, you know, we help the most people or we do the right thing or we put the country in the best spot. And, And it's tough even to agree on what the quote unquote right outcome is, but we lose sight of that objective and the objective becomes more about just getting reelected or building power or whatever it might be. And I think maintaining that healthy conviction towards, you know, whatever your moral um, framework is or your value system is and saying, hey, no matter what the answer is, where it sits on the political spectrum, I want to get to that objective of, of helping people or doing better. If we maintain that and then gun control is the perfect example, we, we don't want to see schools shot up again. We don't want to see another situation in Texas. If the solution to that is more strict gun control and it's actually going to help, then great, because that's the objective. If the solution to that is armed guards at the school and that's actually going to help, then great. Like it should be whatever is actually going to help. We shouldn't predetermine what the solution should be. The solution should be what actually works. Um, And I get it's complex, it's nuanced, but I think remembering that and staying true to the objective that actually matters rather than all the noise can be important too. But let me me give you the last word, Sam, on, on that or just any of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the show. I greatly appreciate it. But, um, you know, I think as we've been talking about this whole episode, healthy dialogue and meeting in the middle is what's going to help the most. And of course, keeping the objective clear. If you're wanting to help someone, try to figure out how you can help someone, Uh, whether it is by research, uh, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, whatever it may be. As long as your objective is being met, then there you go. Yeah. You know, as far as like what you were saying, you know, being reelected and the objective getting a little foggy sometimes, I think as long as you stay true to yourself, you work for what you believe in and you tell the truth, regardless of the outcome, you know, I don't think there's anything to really hang your head about at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. even if it does cost you an election and you're still being true to yourself. I think that is much better than lying to all of your listeners or your followers and so on and so on. Well said. Well said. Well, Sam, listen, I, um, I, I say this in most conversations, but I say it because I mean it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I really did. And I think, firstly, it's super cool that you at a young age and, and starting at a really young age felt compelled to say, hey, I have a passion for this. Um, I don't want to just kind of watch from the sidelines or complain. I want to do something. I want to get involved and I want to be a part of it is awesome. Flat out, you know, full stop. But I think what's even more important is that ability to say, to be thoughtful about what matters to you, to try and stay objective, to try and do the research and figure it out, to want to have healthy, open dialogue, to be tolerant of different viewpoints and kind of working to get to the best possible outcome. That piece of it, when you put those two things together with your, you know, um, your, your, your call to action and and, and the work you're doing, I think that's a really important thing. And it's, uh, again, it gives me optimism for the country. If there's more people like you out there, regardless of beliefs, It's those two things, wanting to help, taking the action to help and being humble enough to be thoughtful and say, I want to think through to try and get to the best answer. And then having the conviction to say, hey, I'm not going to let people push me around on this. I think that's that's really valuable stuff. So I appreciate you for all of that and for being on and kind of talking to me today and kicking around some of these questions. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. You have an awesome rest of your day, Sam. You as well.